Now, uranium, of course, uh, has been in the news again in the local context with BHP Billiton's uh, bombshell announcement uh, that it was postponing its uh, $30 billion expansion of the Olympic Dam uranium gold and a copper mine. It has, quote, uh, decided that it is looking at a, a less capital-intensive uh, alternative to the, uh, the, the overburdened uh, methods that it was looking at. Overburdening refers to the removal of, of excess dirt before uh, one can even actually get extract any of the, the uranium ore and according to the, the methods they were going to use it's going to take five years uh, just to basically dig away all that dirt and uh, create a, a bit, uh, dig a one kilometre deep hole before they can get hold of the uranium ore. I don't profess to understand uh, the technicalities and the science underlying this but <clears throat> I understand uh, that they're now looking uh, at, um, at a different type of leaching method called heap leaching, which is very similar to in situ uh, leaching that maybe people may be familiar with that was mooted that was going to be used at the Jabaluki uranium mine in Northern Territory a few years ago. Basically involves the, the massive use of very nasty uh, chemicals to separate, uh, to separate the actual metals from, from the ore body and supposedly uh, is that less capital-intensive method that uh, BHP Billiton is now looking at. Uh, talks with the South Australian Premier Jay Weatherall today to try and get the, the project back on board. Uh, and more broadly on uranium uh, news, it didn't get uh, the publicity, of course, of the Olympic Dam announcement, but a few days after uh, BHP made that announcement, they also sold uh, their their investment in the Ulleri uranium deposit in Western Australia for $430 million US million to the Canadian company Chemico which uh, uh, already has um, an interest in Western Australian ur- uranium. It owns the uh, the Kintyre deposit, which it purchased from Rio Tinto uh, in 2008. And, of course, also uh, in Western Australia, uh, Toro, Toro Energy is uh, hoping to get a, a final federal government environmental approval for its uh, Waluna project in the northern gold fields, a $280 million uranium deposit there, and received uh, state government uh, environmental protection authority uh, approval uh, for that project back in May. Uh, and Barnett, um, Barnett's reportedly uh, pressured BHP to sell the Ulleri deposit to Chemico, which is interesting because it, I think, clearly indicates that our state government uh, wants to press ahead at all costs with uh, uranium exploration in this state, despite the, the falling world uranium spot price, the collapse of the nuclear power industry throughout the world, uh, which is some of the very issues that uh, I had a chance to, to catch up with about uh, with, with Senator Scott Ludlam, uh, as I said at the top of the show, a long-term uh, anti-nuclear, anti-uranium uh, campaigner who was uh, in, in uh, Japan in July. Uh, and it's, I started by actually asking him about um, some of those experiences. But uh, we'll give you the, uh, the, the details of the meeting he's speaking at um, after the interviews. But here is uh, Scott Ludlam. Senator Ludlam, first of all, thanks very much for joining us this evening. You were in Japan in July and had the opportunity to meet with people perhaps best described as internally displaced nuclear refugees in the Fukushima prefecture. Could you start by just telling us a bit about your own personal uh, human impressions of uh, what it was like to to meet people like that in such circumstances? Um, But the first impression is just how deeply damaging this event has been for people. Um, It's hard to get a sense of it as an outsider that the the tsunami and the nuclear disaster there have basically impacted on every aspect of life, down to psychological impacts and the fact that tens of thousands of families have been split up. Just for example, kids being sent outside the contaminated zones, but people unable, you know, working working people unable to leave jobs and homes. So even on that level, it's had a, an incredibly dislocating effect on Japanese society. 
The most recent reports I've read indicate that as a result of uh, the shift in public opinion, the Japanese government is now giving consideration to the total phase-out of all nuclear power by uh, 2030, and they're looking at the options for, for doing so. What sense did you get, and I understand that you took part in some anti-nuclear protests, what sense did you get of the, uh, the national prevailing mood uh, regarding nuclear power in Japan? Well, it's, it's mixed and polarised. Um, the first few times I travelled there, I was stunned by the degree to which you know, almost the entire country is anti-nuclear weapons, but public opinion is, was really muted and split when you could get someone to express a view at all on the issue of nuclear power, and people had been drenched in the ideology that nuclear power and nuclear weapons were two totally different things. One was appalling, the other one was essential. Now, that consensus, if you will, is now shattered, and the largest demonstration I've been to in my entire life occurred in Tokyo while I was there. Um, people are furious at the idea that the government would even contemplate retaining nuclear capacity. So even the phase-out by 2030 plan is being strongly and deeply opposed by people who don't understand why uh, there should be restarts at all. They've just run the country for a period of two and a half months without any nukes. Uh, and so that's that is uppermost in people's minds. If we could move now to the global picture in India, there are plans to go ahead with the Kunkandalam nuclear power plant, uh, and I saw that uh, the Exelon Corporation has dropped plans for a nuclear power plant in southeast Texas. Meanwhile, of course, we've seen Germany uh, phase out its nuclear power plants altogether. So it's a bit of a mixed picture, some plants being approved in some countries and others uh, phasing them out altogether. I mean, what's your, your feeling about how the, the global nuclear power industry as a whole uh, is, is progressing? I, I think it's, it's the walking dead. The industry is stuffed, and that's the only conclusion that you can draw. The only country that's pursuing a really aggressive program of, of new build is China, um, that has a safety record that's obviously completely shrouded because the press, you know, press freedom uh, is so limited in China, and the only anti-nuclear dissident that I know of, him and his daughter, are presently in a, in a re-education camp somewhere in China. So the, the Chinese industry is going... They had a big pause after Fukushima, but now they're, they're back into it again. That plant in India, in Tamil Nadu, has provoked intense opposition by local people, like hundreds of thousands of people, people on hunger strike. Uh, it's, it's really polarised, the, the state of Tamil Nadu there. And the industry globally, as you, as you, as you mentioned in your rundown, is, is crippled. Uh, and it has been actually for a long period of time, really since the Chernobyl disaster, if not before the industry's been stalled and now it's going backwards. And, of course, we've seen the consequences, perhaps directly uh, otherwise you could have that argument of uh, the Fukushima disaster locally with uh, BHP Billiton's announcement uh, late last month that it would not go ahead or at least that it would postpone going ahead with the $30 billion expansion of its uh, copper, uranium and gold uh, mine at Olympic Dam. Uh, just today, actually, South Australian Premier Jay Weatherall had talks with uh, BHP CEO Marius Kloppers in a desperate effort to uh, revive uh, the, the project i mean what does it say about the, the uranium industry here do you think there's any chance um specifically in relation to olympic dam that it, that it will actually uh, go ahead through some form of, of government subsidies perhaps yeah i think there is and i think you've nailed it there you use the word desperate and i think that's precisely what it is south australia seems to be well, the government both sides of uh, the old parties there seem intent on making the south australian economy 
as vulnerable to the fortunes of the Roxby project as they possibly can. Uh, BHP's got a, you know, got an absolute headlock on the old political parties there and virtually runs the state. They operate under an indenture act that effectively places them above the law. Um, but, you know, as we've seen, uh, companies in, in right across Australia walking away from uranium projects in the last couple of months, and that is partly because the industry is in such a shambles overseas. Nobody can deny that, you know, you could politely call Fukushima a setback, but actually I think it's the, it's the beginning of the end for them. Huge numbers of reactors built in the 70s and 80s needing to close over the next 10 to 15 years because they're becoming too dangerous to run. And very few countries are building new ones. And everywhere that they are, with the exception of China, people are opposing them right around the world. And it's that link between the Australian mining industry and the situation in Japan that we're going to draw out at the public meeting tomorrow night. And yes, could you give us some more details about that meeting, who'll be speaking and uh, where it's being held and so forth? Um, look, a very good friend and mentor of mine, Joe Valentine, who's just been in the contaminated areas around Chernobyl at the city of Nova Zipkov. Uh, and I'll, so she'll be speaking. I'll be speaking about my experience in Japan. We're hoping to Skype in uh, Akira Kawasaki, who's a very long-term anti-nuclear and peace campaigner in Japan. And we'll just be discussing the links between the industry here and the movement here and in Japan and uh, drawing out a conversation um, of to, to try and basically scope where to from here. What can we do to support people in Japan? What can we do to play our part in bringing this industry to a close? So that's at 5.45 for a 6pm start tomorrow, September 4, and it's in the Queen's Building, which is Level 1, 97 William Street, Perth. That's from, from 6 o'clock. I think there's an old marketing adage about uh, repeating things at least twice to get the message across. So I don't know that I'm going to actually repeat what uh, Scott's just said in terms of the details tomorrow meetings twice, but I will repeat them once. Uh, so it's uh, on tomorrow, 5.45pm uh, for 6pm start. Public meeting on the fight for a nuclear-free future. As Scott said there, he'll be uh, one of the speakers as well as uh, Joe Valentine. And they're going to Skype in uh, Japanese uh, anti-nuclear activists. It's at the main hall, the Queen's Building, Level 1, 97 William Street, Perth. So do get along if you can.